Welcome to Interchange on WFHB. I'm Doug Storm. That's Peter Frampton, and the year is 1976. Our show tonight is Love and Activism in the Bicentennial. Besides being the year of America's bicentennial, what else went down in 1976? Apple Computer Company is formed by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. NASA unveiled its first space shuttle, the Enterprise. It's reported that CFCs, or chlorofluorocarbons, used in aerosol cans damage the ozone layer. The Olympics, broadcast from Montreal, Canada, draw an estimated 1 billion viewers worldwide. Nadia Comaneci, a 14-year-old Romanian, is awarded the first ever perfect 10 on a gymnastics routine and six more in the same games. Landing vehicles from the U.S. spacecraft Viking 1 and Viking 2 set down safely on Mars. The top movies probably tell us a little bit more than we want to know about the soul of the nation. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, All the President's Men, The Omen, Taxi Driver, The Outlaw Josie Wales, and Rocky. Peter Frampton is unleashed on the public, never to relinquish his place in radio rotation. And Jackie and Jack fall in love in the midst of labor and civil rights activism in Andy Piasek's new book, In Motion. Andy Piasek was born and raised in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where he still has deep ties. An award-winning writer, he contributes regularly to many publications and websites, such as Jacobin, Counterpunch, and Z Magazine. Besides his new novel, he's also the author of Gridiron Gauntlet, the story of the men who integrated pro football in their own words. And he lives in Brooklyn, New York. Andy Piasek, welcome to Interchange. Hi, Doug. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, Andy, I came to your book actually via a short notice by Paul Buell in Counterpunch. Uh, Paul uh, Buell has been on Interchange for a program we called The Graphically Radical Paul Buell for his work with graphic novelizations and historical treatments of key socialist figures like Rosa Luxemburg and, well, Jesus. And he'll be joining us again to chat about Johnny Appleseed, believe it or not. Buell had this to say in part about your book, uh, Andy Piasek's Deft in Motion had me when a lead character's sister is writing red-hot essays for Radical America, the magazine that I created some 50 years ago for the new left. Piasek, who blogs on labor and left history, that he researches with a passion that reminds us of the novel's own lad, has a fine eye for the detail and ear for the dialogue, excuse me, a fine eye for the detail and ear for the dialogue between the lovers and also various family members. The talk around this sex action in particular seems to hit the right notes and places, both realistic and sensitive. The two are definitely more mature or worldly than my peers, just a generation older at their age, and I first imagine them readily overcoming their fears and the personal complications, but of course they do not. There are no easy resolutions here, but the figures are drawn to the life and the story well told. So that's really nice, and actually it's kind of uh, how I felt about the book as well, Andy. It was uh, um, a really 
I don't know, I almost would call it gentle book in some sense, like, um, and maybe that's the intention. Sex is a big part of it, which we'll get to, uh, I hope, as is dancing, uh, maybe gymnastics too, a lot of bodies in motion, and we'll get into that. But as Buell points out, um, you're generally, uh, I think, known as a, a blogger. Uh, uh, you write a lot on labor and left history, and I don't think you're known as a novelist, and uh, I think this is your first novel, right? Yes, that's right. So why a novel, Andy? Fiction is something that I've been drawn to for a long time and just was never really able to get anywhere with it in my first efforts many years ago. Kept trying, kept thinking about it, and then figured, you know, I mean, it's better to try to get to it sooner rather than later as I get older. So I took a stab at it and um, delighted to hear you know, your response to it, Paul Buell's review, certainly I read almost not long after it came out. That was very nice. And, uh, you know, I'm just hoping that anybody who reads the book will come away with something positive. Well, I think that's probably the best thing to say about it in some sense. Well, many things we can say about it that are good, but the the positive aspect is an interesting way to, to frame it. I was talking um, to a friend and was saying that my idea of novels frequently or the books that I had tended to read are conflict-driven generally and tend to not have very nice characters in them. And for the most part, your book has a lot of nice characters or, you know, people trying to be nice, people who are striving to be nice, people who are trying to do the right things. There, of course, are uh, not very nice people also. But uh, to me, that's a a great uh, engine of the book is this sort of striving to be good in the world. Yes, I think certainly the the three main characters, the two younger lovers, a couple, a boy and a girl, man and woman, and the the younger woman's older sister, I would say, certainly fit into that category. I mean, to me, I think a lot of what frames the book is these two young people becoming more aware as they move from childhood to being now 18, 19 years old about various problems that surround them that to some extent maybe they've been shielded from. Both of the characters are white. Both of them to varying degrees come from sort of middle class or upper middle class backgrounds. But at some point it becomes impossible to for them to avoid for example several incidents of police brutality against black youth who are basically the same age as they are. Um the declining living standards of large numbers of people living around them as factories close or as factories cut personnel. Um, And, you know, the book is also set during the sort of apex of the women's movement. We think about the movements of the 1960s as primarily taking place in the 60s and even that's not entirely accurate, but it certainly is not true of the women's movement. And so I think a lot of the changes that are going on, both in terms of the society, but in terms of personal relationships, are impacted by this kind of demand or desire for women to transform both the way they're able to function in the society as a whole and also how they're able to function in individual relationships, either with men or with their 
peers, with their parents, with whoever. And so I think, you know, I mean, that period of being 18, 19, just about starting college, when you get into college, there's a great deal more idealism and maybe optimism about what is possible or what uh, alternative version of society might be. So I think that that maybe drives what you're describing a little bit, you know, people who are reacting to what they see around them in terms of injustice and trying to figure out a way to make it right and integrating that into themselves as individuals as well. It's not just simply an outward thrust of we need to do this in terms of policy or in terms of social construction, but we also need to transform ourselves. Hmm. Well, let's do a little bit of uh, uh, bookwork here and actually try to give a sense of the novel as a whole before we take a, a look at some of the particulars. So uh, the book is set in sort of a post-industrial Connecticut town and um, has a relationship with the city, New York, as well, uh, as characters kind of go back and forth there. Uh, we've got main characters, Jack and Jackie. You want to tell us a little bit about them? Jackie is sort of the main character. She's just graduated from high school. She turns 18 at some point during the book, early on. And she comes from a more upward middle class background. Her father is an attorney and is doing fairly well. Her mother is also employed. She has older sisters, and one of whom is a main character in the book as well, has a great deal of impact on her. She's quite a bit older than Jackie. There's a I guess it's a 13-year age difference. So while Jackie has just graduated from high school in 1976, Susan, the older sister, has been involved in some of the movements that we made reference to earlier in the 1960s, including the Civil Rights Movement, including the early years right up through 1976 in the Women's Movement. Uh, she's working as a teacher, and I think Part of it, you know, I mean, and her younger sister seeing these accomplishments and the, the way in which she carries herself through the world has a tremendous amount of admiration for her and to some extent wants to be like her. Um, but Jackie is her own person as well. She's, you know, um, kind of drawn to... Uh, physical expression, if you will, as a dancer um, and in other ways, and she has high hopes for attending New York University. Um, her sister Susan is already living in Manhattan, and so that will be a sort of deeper way for them to bond once the school starts. We never actually get to the point where school starts. The book actually uh, ends on Labor Day as they're driving off to New York to start school. Yeah, but it's a summertime book. Yeah, it's a summertime book, very much, like Memorial Day to Labor Day, mm -hmm. almost perfect uh, frame for that. And, I, and Jack now is someone that she has known and grown up with. He's actually a year older than she is, but he's also about to be starting school. Not nowhere near as accomplished as a student as she is, but is sort of more of an um, independent researcher and learner, someone who's voracious about that kind of stuff but doesn't have it really translate so well into classroom stuff or grades but he is indeed also going off to school and one of the tensions that comes up is 
you know, these two young people have this kind of intense relationship over the course of the summer, and all the while knowing she's going to be going to New York University, he's been accepted to only one school and will be going off to Keene State College in New Hampshire. So once September comes, they know they will not be in the same place in the same way. They, you know, so the the, the obstacle, I guess you could say, of maintaining a relationship from long distance is there before them all along. Yeah, well, summer loving, Paul. Well, exactly. <laughs> right. uh, You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. I'm Doug Storm with guest uh, Andy Piasek joining me by telephone to talk about his novel In Motion about love and activism in America's bicentennial year. Uh, I apologize, Andy. I think I called you Paul there. I must have had a Paul Buell moment in my head. Okay. Um, so Jack and Jackie are sort of standard characters in some way. They're, they're, they're romantic in some ways. They're coming of age. They're trying to figure out each other. Uh, they happen back into each other's life because uh, I think uh, the Gendrons, Jackie's, I think that's how you say that, yeah, Jackie's uh, family has, uh, the girls go off to Catholic school, I believe, at, uh, as they age, and so leave the public school system behind. Uh, it's one of the things you do throughout the novel is set up these classes class hierarchies as well through how the characters move through their particular worlds. Uh, Jack comes back into Jackie's life, I think, via the library, if that's maybe that's right. That's just an accidental meeting, actually, yeah. Yeah, so so Jackie, who is kind of pointed in one direction, studious, um, but kind of freewheeling as well, learning from her sister, as you say, Susan, who's off and has done many of these things in terms of activism, has has dreams and aspirations in that way as well. She's got, of course, um, uh, tensions between her parents because she doesn't want to do what her father wants to do. Um, so there's all these, uh, I think, pretty normal things that kids uh, sort of walk into in life and, and as they begin to try to grow into themselves and look for models as well. So Jackie has one in her place already. It turns out that Jack... Uh, Jack, too, knows about Susan. Jack is, uh, like I said, an avid reader and a a young man of the left. Don't really get into too much about how that came to be, but I think in the milieu of growing up in the early 70s, and I should say I'm I'm essentially the same age as the two main characters, so this is, I'm speaking from experience. I mean, as a young person... The 60s and the youth culture and what was we could generally call youth revolt sort of hung over my upbringing, even though I was a little too young to have experienced anti-war activism or any of that stuff directly. So anyway, he has become aware of Susan, knowing of her because of having previously known the family through articles that she's written for as Paul Buell referenced in the clip that you read, Radical America, uh, a wonderful magazine, now longer, now no longer in existence, unfortunately, um, that really, I think, in a way, is very parallel in its political orientation to what the characters are in the book and to myself. Um, and so, you know, he's very much aware of what Susan has accomplished and shares that with Jackie, and that sort of becomes a basis for them to grow closer. And I think the fact that, to some extent, that a young man would have an awareness of the accomplishments of a woman 
you know, I don't want to say that it's unique, but it's a drawing point. And the, the fact that it happens to be her older sister is even makes it more so. Right. I think uh, Buell also mentions the sense that with these two, they come on the scene pretty confident and competent competent in what they are doing. Jack, uh, of course, comes on and um, knows all these facts, uh, again, about the family that, that she, you know, she, in a sense, probably forgot about Jack, and he seems to have remembered much about their their life and their family, as well as uh, having to deal with his own change in circumstances. He, he seems to have uh, achieved quite a bit within the space of this, uh, this sort of high school, high school space. He's a, a football player, I guess, uh, but never seeming to be sort of in on the sports world other than having physicality in his background as well, competence in physicality. But it turns out that um, his life has not gone great, and uh, he's struggling to help his mother pay the bills. He has two jobs. One is he works at the um, brass factory too, right? That's right. Yeah, so he works at the library and the brass factory. Again, two perhaps two symbols of what Jack is, right? He's he's both intellectual, intelligent, and uh, working class and physical. Well said. I hadn't really <laughs> thought of that kind of combination. Well, um, it's it's um, it's an interesting. Um, Okay, so when 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 I read fiction, I'm going to confess. I'm going to confess how I read fiction here. Unless it's a Moby Dick, I can't uh, identify with Ishmael necessarily. But most fiction that you read, that you enjoy, you tend to find a way to identify. As you've already spoken about your own relationship with the characters, perhaps being at least their age and having experienced some of what they may have experienced as a reader, uh, you know, you think Jack. Uh, maybe I'm like Jack. I'd like to be like Jack. You know. Uh, but the key. Uh, to this book, I think, in a lot of ways, is that it's mostly in Jackie's voice. And how did you how did you sort of, you know, sort of establish yourself and, and say to yourself, I'm going to write in a woman's voice, or what I think is a woman's voice? Well, it was uh, obviously a big challenge and maybe pretentious. I don't know if <laughs> I bit off more that I could chew. But it became more interesting because the original idea, not surprisingly, was to do it from Jack's point of view. As a guy writing from a guy's point of view, um, that is w- would sort of be the normal way to do it, I guess, or the natural way to do it. But I, I felt like there were things looking out at the world and experiences that happened that I wanted to relate and couldn't really figure out a way that it could be done unless she became the primary character or, who, or whose perspective comes at first. So things like, you know, just going through having to deal with uh, being harassed, you know, as a young, attractive woman. Um, Her, I guess, take on their relationship, her, her her desire to be closer with her parents but not being able to figure out a way. In, the, in Jack's case, he's already sort of moved on to some extent from his family. He's actually living on his own in his own kind of humble apartment um, because he's not really able to deal anymore with his family, which, is, which has been kind of disrupted by his parents' separation. Um, 
Andy, we've got to take a break. I'll have to leave it to readers to figure out if it works. (laughs) Well, I think it does. Uh, We've got to take a break. This is Interchange on WFHB. We're speaking by telephone with Andy Piasek, an award-winning writer who contributes regularly regularly to many publications and websites such as Jacobin and Z Magazine. Our focus tonight is his new novel, In Motion, set in post-industrial Connecticut and New York in the bicentennial year, 1976. Our music for this break is Love Hangover by Diana Ross, released in the year, you guessed it, 1976. Stay with us for more In Motion with Andy Piasek when Interchange returns on WFHB. Welcome back. I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange on WFHB. We're speaking by telephone with Andy Piasek, author of the novel In Motion, which takes place in America's bicentennial year, 1976. Let's hear some words of love and friendship from Empire on July 7, 1976. Your Majesty, the wounds of our parting in 1776 healed long ago. Americans admire the United Kingdom as one of our truest allies and best friends. Mr. President, the British and American people are as close today as two peoples have ever been. We see you as our strong and trusted friend, and we believe that you in turn will find us as ready as ever to bear our full share in defending the values in which we both believe. That is why we are so happy to be here. That was President Gerald Ford and Queen Elizabeth II of England 
Uh, again, words from Empire Friends, uh, the Queen and the President. Uh, I, I, I picked that, obviously. It's, uh, again, from the time period, period of the novel, but also one of the characters is looking forward to the Queen's visit, I think. Well, Jackie references at the beginning, um, much of this activity took place in New York City, which is not so far of a train ride from where the two main characters are living. So they have, and plus with Jackie's older sister, Susan, living in New York City, they have fairly easy access both to get there and to find places to hang out. So yeah, so they don't, she doesn't actually end up doing it, but they do go to see the tall ships that were prominently on display in the Hudson River for the period both leading up to and over July 4th weekend that summer. And then what was billed as, I guess, the most widely viewed fireworks display, which took place on the evening of July 4th, they were also in attendance for that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think maybe what's expressed by her desire to see the queen is this whole thing of having one foot still sort of in the innocence of youth and also at the same time becoming aware that maybe these people who run this stuff aren't quite what they're made out to be. <laughs> maybe. The um, the idea of, uh, as you say, uh, the sort of the backdrop of the bicentennial, it's it's an interesting aspect of the book that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily intrude on the book very much, if I could say that. It's there, and if you've been in that uh, world, if you've lived through it, I lived through it myself. If you lived through it, you you know it, you remember it, you you may even have very fond memories of it. Again, it's one of those things that kind of exists as a um, a, a splashy great thing. It was obviously uh, promoted ad nauseum. You know, the greatest thing in the world: two hundred years of democracy and freedom. And that I tried to bring that out because you know there's the two aspects of it. In some ways, it was just sort of a cool way to celebrate. Let's go get a cooler and barbecue up and watch fireworks and have a good time. And then there was also everything from whatever happened to be on sale on a given weekend was linked in some way to the bicentennial and you were obligated to buy it in order to do your patriotic duty to, you know, the fact that it was also a presidential year and whoever was running in the various primaries, of course, were apt to invoke America's wonderful background and history. And then also just um, the celebration itself, you know. I mean, a lot of it was incredibly over the top. I remember the Bicentennial Minute, which I believe CBS did. And it wasn't just like for a couple weeks leading up to the 4th and maybe a few. They did it for almost two years, <laughs> believe it or not, where every evening at 11 o'clock, I guess just prior to the local news broadcast, they would invoke some dimension from American history and talk about it and link it in some way to 1976, the celebration. So this, you know, as a young person, maybe looking out at the world and trying to see what's going on and maybe seeing some kind of a disconnect between people being shot by the police, people getting laid off from their jobs on the one hand, and then on the other hand, all these invocations about 
our wonderful history and about how wonderful we still are, you know, it it, it made people somewhat a little bit jaundiced, I think. Yeah, it's a, again, it's one of those funny things that you look back on you and you think once you start to learn some of the facts of history, I guess we, we, we might say, versus the myth of history or the myth of what we're being told, uh, you look back on that era and you're just sort of shocked at the, I guess, the, the intentional pomp and circumstance. You mentioned the tall ships and the harbor, these, you know, to, to sort of remind you of the, the ways in which we fought for freedom freedom um, from the tyrannous, uh, you know, George III and, and, and England. And uh, now the, the, the two countries are partners in, in commerce uh, in, se- in 1976, partners in a new world order in a sense, right? This is really where uh, our, our neoliberal frame begins to encompass the world in some sense. And it's, um, it's an interesting thing to, to be 40 years on and only like have people begin to realize the sort of length, the long shadow that began even pre-bicentennial but to see it as uh, displayed in that uh, sleight of hand of our greatness. That's right. That's right. And any number of better writers than I have referenced this, but, you know, this is also the period when the Trilateral Commission is created. And one of the main things that, one of the main reasons it was created was to address this whole problem of too much democracy in the society, right? It was a reaction to the movements of the 60s where people took seriously the notion that they should have some control over their lives and some input in the decisions that impact their lives. Well, the ruling class certainly didn't conceive of democracy in that way, so they created think tanks and created all kinds of different mechanisms to react to and eventually roll back those victories that were won and to reassert the notion that you know, people should just quietly go about their business buying these products that are on sale for the bicentennial and leave running empire in the country to those of us who have been born into privilege to do it. Right, right. Well, yeah. the, um, the, the book I, itself... I'd also like yeah, to say, you sure. know, the 70s is kind of, there's this, I, I don't know how prevalent it is now, but I, I, I remember even as the decade was still in place and coming to its end, the, the sort of history of it at that time was, well, it was a period of self-indulgence, you know, people with pet rocks or moon rocks or I whatever they rock, were, sure. and everybody was into Est and granola <laughs> right. and meditating. You know, nothing against meditating is probably good for all of us, <laughs> but it's really sort of this uh, shallow, intentionally shallow depiction of what was happening mm-hmm. There were major economic shifts going on, which are hinted at to some extent with what's happening with factory life in places like the place in the story. Mm-hmm. But then also, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, the women's movement, even to some extent the black power movement, as represented maybe by the Black Panther Party, though certainly not only them, still had a fair amount of um, momentum going and activity going right through till 1976 and beyond. Um, but, you know, that's uncomfortable. That's not the, really the kind of stuff that mainstream wants to talk about. It's much more easier to talk about all these people who had been briefly activists when they were young, and then as they aged, they kind of dropped out and went off and joined communes or joined Est or did whatever they did. You know, I mean, 
certainly that is maybe true of small number of people, mm-hmm. but in terms of those who stayed at it and made radical activism their lives, many of whom, you mentioned Paul Buell, I mean, there's any number of tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who began even before 1976 who are still going strong at this stuff. Yeah, it's one of those things that, again, you're, uh, I think for myself, and I, I think I'm a child of this era in a way that um, you you have to wake up, you know, wake up past your pet rock. I had a loaf of bread that laughed also. I, I don't know if that's interesting. <laughs> You'd squeeze it and the bread laughed. It was yeah. hilarious. Um, but I did love my pet rock. Anyway, you, you do have to sort of divest yourself of this comic world that you grew up in a little bit to realize that the world was happening in ways that, that you're just growing up in, you know, and growing through in some sense. Um, uh, you're listening to Interchange on WFHB. I'm Doug Storm with guest Andy Piasek joining me by telephone to talk about his novel, In Motion, about love and activism in America's bicentennial year. Um, so we have Jack and ja- uh, Jack and Jackie, or Jackie and Jack, and we also have Susan and Walt as parallel couples. Uh, these are Susan is the older sister by I think you said twelve or thirteen years. Susan is established in a career. Um, she she's a writer. She's a teacher. Um, and Walt, her boyfriend, uh, they live together, I believe. And Walt is an academic. Uh, maybe a, a political science or labor academic. I can't remember exactly, but he comes on the scene as a um, maybe a companion for Jack in some sense within the book. You you want to like Walt from the beginning. Plus, he's got Walt Whitman's name, so he must be a good character. Yeah. But um, but you find out quickly that there that here is a here is a foil in the book or a way in which you 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 begin to establish how certain men think and how men ought not to think there were basically two different things i was trying to do there maybe more under the surface that i don't know about but certainly two one was that okay walt is older he's roughly susan's age and as you said he's a professor and they're involved in a relationship but there's also a sort of bitterness to him um somewhat related maybe to activism that he was involved in in the 60s is not entirely drawn out but I, I wasn't really trying to make specific conclusions about that the point is that he's basically an unhappy guy and you know the fact that you're involved in movements for social change where people are doing all kinds of good stuff and they're theoretically supposed to be nice to each other and it's supposed to be sort of a collective experience First of all, it's not necessarily true, but second of all, within that, the toxicities of specific individuals is never completely done away with anyway, no matter how healthy of an environment it might be. And in his case, as the movements recede to some degree and he becomes older and he's confronted with certain aspects of his own life, um, he kind of lashes out and... It, like I said, is a is a somewhat bitter, unhappy person, and as fortunate as he would, on the surface, seem to be to be involved with Susan, who, as you mentioned, is a very accomplished person who anyone you would think would be very happy to be with, channels his bitterness and his anger, whatever, toward her and onto her. 
And so it manifests itself in its relationship, in their relationship. And the other thing is, yeah, I think it is exactly like you said, the way in which some men maybe responded to more power for women. Um, for some, some were more accepting of that than others. Some saw it as liberating. Continues right to this day that kind of tension, but some also, and Walt would be one, weren't all that happy about it. Mm-hmm. And um, some of this plays out in terms of his response to Susan's private love and love and uh, sexual experiences. Um, it, you know, I mean, it's just. I don't know. I'd like to hear from you how you think it's drawn, but I mean, basically, I was trying to grapple with uh, those two different things. Mm-hmm. No, I, again, I think uh, for me, too. Maybe part of it, too, is just unrealistic expect. you know, like the whole notion among some small number of people that the revolution is around the corner. Mm-hmm. And then what happens when the revolution doesn't come? It never around? comes. Yeah, you know, no, I think that that that's pretty well done in terms of Walt. He does seem uh, disillusioned at at, at uh, maybe at best disillusioned. He's uh, if he ever was a good guy in some sense. He's he's shown initially talking with Jack in ways that seem positive, but then shortly after we get a lot of negative commentary from Walt about uh, women, about uh, uh, about how you respond again to to a woman in terms of perhaps trying to uh, manipulate relationships. So one of the key issues in the book, in fact, I don't know, perhaps it's the main issue in the book, is the relationship between the man and the woman, the, the Jackie and Jack, Susan and Walt. Susan and Walt are less in the book, but they serve as that very clear uh, example of how things go wrong or how individuals treat each other badly. And the key issue with Walt is that he's calculating and um, has no respect for perhaps himself and uh, clearly not for Susan, nor any of the students he teaches. Right. Yes. And whereas the two younger people are freer, more spontaneous, and more open to you know, let's go with this as best as we can and try to be as healthy about it as we can. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's an important point to to make too. Uh, the the spontaneous uh, spontane excuse me spontaneity of youth in some sense. These two again, you draw these characters with with real fire, with real passion, with real excitement. That's clear in the book that Jackie and Jack are both uh, in you know enthralled with each other and of course scared of it as well. Um, scared to not know if you are accepted. Scared to not know if you're loved. Scared to know if you're doing it right. Uh, but at the same time, trying very hard to not stand off from it, but to commit to it uh, in a way that maybe is maybe most of us who went through those relationships would have no way to be so aware of. Maybe maybe that's why, uh, one way I like the book is that it, I, I wouldn't necessarily have said it was it was true to my life. I don't know that I'd have been as um, aware of myself as the two characters are. I think that's about right. I mean. Uh some of the feedback that I've gotten is that folks are way mature beyond their years. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. I think we've we've uh, f- uh, forgotten that people can be mature, that children uh, uh, may not be childish 
Uh, and I think that's, a, that's an important point in the book. Uh, we got to take a break, though. This is Interchange on WFHB. We're speaking by telephone with Andy Piasek, an award-winning writer who contributes regularly to many publications and websites, such as Counterpunch and Z Magazine. Our focus tonight, though, his new novel, In Motion, which is set in post-industrial Connecticut and New York in the bicentennial year of 1976. Our music for this break is I Want You by Marvin Gaye, also released in 1976. Stay with us for more In Motion with Andy Piasek when Interchange returns on WFHB. to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. This is WFHB. Our show is Love and Activism in the Bicentennial. We're speaking by telephone with Andy Piasek, author of the novel In Motion, which takes place in America's bicentennial year, 1976. So let's start our final segment by scoring a perfect 10. On the uneven bars. Chris, this could be the highlight of the compulsory event. She is one of the technically strongest best gymnast that I've ever seen. Watch this. Beautiful rhythm, right to a handstand. Oh, look at that amplitude. Ooh. She is really moving well. Another handstand. Look at that, right to the handstand. Gorgeous routine. Beautiful, and the crowd loved it. It wasn't just the crowd that loved it. And it is. A perfect dance the first one. No gymnast in Olympic history had ever received a perfect score, and to do it with a compulsory routine 
was phenomenal. It brought the crowd to its feet and brought Nadia back on stage for a curtain call. It's hard to believe that a 14-year-old did such a thing. I thought that uh, this is what I want to do and this is normal. But as the time goes by, uh, I think I appreciate that a lot more because I know what it takes and how many years you need to work to be there for, you know, 35 seconds on some particular events. So uh, I appreciate more and more what happened 40 years ago. That's Nadia Comaneci speaking to us about her perfect 10 there. I think I said at the beginning she'd gotten seven total perfect 10s. Uh, in those games, and again, ne- having never uh, uh, having scored a, uh, I guess a female, I think ever, uh, not just female, but maybe uh, men as well, a perfect ten in the games seemed like the floodgates opened for Nadia Comaneci at fourteen, um, the Romanian. Uh, but I like that, especially it's a it's a, a not a giant part of the book, of course, a small part of the book that uh, the. Uh, Jack's sisters are pretty excited to watch the Olympics, and so is uh, Jackie to to watch Nadia Comaneci and see what she does. Of course, it's a 14-year-old girl, so someone to identify with. But uh, the Olympics, again, is one of those things that kind of serve, maybe serve empire more than we like to think about. Yeah, it's another thing that's full of contradiction. You know, the uh, glorious achievements of individual athletes but also being inseparable from this bigger framework of conflict and trying to cut corners and boycotts. You know, people think remember 1980 and 1984, but mm-hmm. there was also a significant boycott in 1976 at the Montreal Games of a number of African countries. Um, but I think that was one of the things that goes back to a question you asked earlier was certainly Nadia was a really big deal um, but the way that women's gymnastics, I think, has evolved since then is that now a lot of people pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I think, it, you know, this goes back to the whole thing about the book being mainly from a young woman's perspective. Boxing was a big deal. The men from the United States cleaned up that year. That's not mentioned in the book because I don't think a girl of 18 or younger with the case of the sisters would have cared about that. Mm-hmm. The men's basketball team sort of got their vindication from the controversial ending in 1972. Don't know, again, how much a young girl would have <laughs> right. cared about that. But yeah, but seeing a 14-year-old girl, and other girls as well, because there were any number of other young stars in the gymnast- gymnastics that year, you know, it was really something that they could identify with and relate to, even if they couldn't come anywhere near doing those kinds of things. Well, you have two main characters, again, who are very athletic, and it's a big part of the book. Uh, physical, physicality, the book's called In Motion. I think it's a perfect title for the for for the book and for the characters generally. They're very uh, physical, and I think it's, again, I, I mentioned earlier, it's a big part of the book, their physicality, and, and their sexual relationship as it burgeons as well is a big part of the book. How uh, again, how how both men and women or boys and girls uh, sort of have a social sexuality that they have to contend with. What is it like to have sex for the first time? What is it like to have people know you have sex? What is it like for people to think you have sex and talk about it in your community, talk about it amongst your peers? What is it like for a, a, a boy to uh, be thought to be sexually active and not be? 
you know, all these things are sort of tied up in there. I think he did a really nice job of sort of capturing those those particular fears of youth and at the same time that a part, sort of particular abandon when you find someone that you can trust. Yeah. Uh, thanks for saying that because that was tricky. and <laughs> wasn't really sure if it was too much or whatever, but um, all those things I think were what I was trying to get at. And I think... The whole trust thing is a big deal because then um, when you feel that way and it seems pretty clear what you're getting from the other person is so positive, it can really be an incredibly exhilarating situation. And if it's not, then it can lead to all kinds of worries and complications and coming up short in terms of the fulfillment that is potentially there. Having said all that, though, I will say that there is one piece of it that, in terms of maybe a little bit of overlap, and because I didn't really want this to be, oh, just these two perfect people with this perfect situation. Jack does feel a certain amount of insecurity or even what you might call resentment about the fact that Jackie has been with other boys before him. Uh, whereas he has not been had any experiences before her. And, you know, I don't by any means say that that makes him like Walt or that he will become like Walt, not at all. But it sort of, you know, I'm not going to say it's a universal, but it is sort of a thing that was a big deal then. I don't know how much of a big deal it is among young people now. To, for a young man or a man of any age to be willing to accept that this is what a woman's history is and you have to accept it and deal with it and that it's part of what she is. A lot of men didn't do there very well with that. Yeah, I think that's probably still the case, uh, yeah. Andy. The, uh, it is a, a difficult thing for, I think, uh, 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 men in particular to confront. I, I can't speak to how women confront it uh, or have, you, you know, you have... Uh, uh, Jackie in the book, uh, seeming, I think, for the most part, to always be open to these experiences and have less concern for what Jack has or hasn't done. Um, she's, she's, even though he, as you say, at some point has moved past family obligations in, in many ways, or at least moved, moved into a more mature relationship with his family, um, she is, is clearly the more mature one when it comes to negotiating the, the, their sexuality. A lot of this is paralleled in, their, in the dancing scenes as well. Yeah, and I see those two as being related. It's also a question of finding the right partner. Mm-hmm. Somebody who really is in a position to put you in a position to let it all go. Right. That's a nice part about the relationship is that they do support each other that way. And again, it's the way that Walt and Susan uh, show uh, show the sort of opposite way, uh, you know, to to treat each other and how you, you get stuck in relationships perhaps sometimes and you don't know how to get out of them. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. I'm Doug Storm with guest Andy Piasek joining me by telephone to talk about his novel, In Motion, about love and activism in America's bicentennial year. Um, a key thing to me in the book too, Andy, was there's a lot that goes on in it and, and maybe there are little mini lessons here and there about activism generally and, and you, you go through a lot of these issues. There's arson in the city. 
there uh, I assume there's like, these are like slumlord fires um, there are scabs uh, talked about there's drugs um, there are uh, there's racism throughout as well there are two issues in particular I'm going to call uh, into your attention or try to talk to you about right now that sort of struck me as um, uh, you talked about the idealism of the of the couple earlier, and it struck me as um, uh, a, a sort of slap of reality in some sense. Uh, two things in particular: um, one being this uh, this sense of, uh, as you said before, this sense of being in love and being comfortable and trusting with a partner. Um, there's a, a scene that I'm gonna I'm gonna tread lightly on actually, but it's a scene with Susan and Jackie. And Jackie wants to tell Susan about how much Jack means to her and how excited she is and how much uh, in love she is. And she also wants some support for a sexual act that she's afraid maybe is something she's not sure she should be doing. And this is an interesting ask after we just talked about the the first experience um, in in this book being, you know, Jack. Uh, uh, having to worry about the fact that Jackie has had experiences before him and he has not. But this this actual sexual act, I assume, is their first experience together. Yes, that's right. And um, it links to also the kind of unhealthy nature of the relationship that Susan is having with her boyfriend, Walt, that we talked about earlier, um, which sort of makes it a difficult subject for her as much even though she's much older and obviously more experienced and all that. So, you know, I, again, it's one of those things I hope it works. Um, I think it is realistic in the sense that as close as you may be and as much as you may admire someone and feel like they're always there 100% for you, there are t- occasionally times when you find that maybe that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. Go ahead. What ends up happening is we delve a little deeper into finding out why, and it becomes a little bit more apparent why, and then things do basically get patched up, as it were. But, you know, I mean, again, this goes back again to the ways in which women have to sort of navigate their way through in ways that men often not only do they not experience but aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's what what struck me too about it is that that sense that the the couple here, and again, I I just would say that for me, it seems like a good book to to learn from in a lot of ways, to learn how to have conversations, to learn how uh, to be respectful of each other, to learn that those things don't always work sometimes, uh, that you have to go through some pain and angst in, in, in between, and maybe things won't work out, but you have to respect the other person as well. And I think that you show that really nicely in in the book so uh, again i wanted to to i guess praise you for that i to me it just it's nice to read something that is positive uh in how we experience the world well thanks that that certainly was the objective i mean i didn't um i mean there's any number of ways you can go with writing something you know it's, it could all have been just like how horrible this city right. is that's falling apart um my feeling was that none of it is set in stone, none of it can't be changed, none mm-hmm. of it can't be reversed in a sense so that we go in a more positive direction. So I felt like having two, or and if you want to call it three people 
who are sort of in a way trying to do that, mm-hmm. address these things, you know, even if the immediate impact that they have isn't sort of the vision or the idealism that they have is something that applies at any moment in time. Yeah. Well, you know what they do throughout? They run into characters that are friends or past friends and people in different parts of life than people in different stages of life who are uh, just not not on the same page as they are, but at the same time, they move in activist circles. They rally and march. They're involved in police brutality marches. They're involved in uh, a strike situation as well, wildcat strike with a, a factory uh, also. So you get a little bit of that in there as well. They're very uh, dedicated to those things. And again, as you say, perhaps that's more mature than most of us are, but it doesn't mean that some of us aren't that mature as well. Um, that's that's really what I liked about it as well. Now I wanted to ask you, Andy, as you're a, 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 as we're running out of time here, but as you you do a lot of work on, on on again blogging from the left and having conversations about uh, things that have sort of perhaps gone away. We're looking at ni- uh, 1976. It seems like all these issues that we're still dealing with dealing with today maybe are entrenched even further. Here we are with Trump and Hillary as our presidential candidates. Where where are we now, Andy? <laughs> You're, you're. I don't know. Maybe I'm turning into a Walt in this conversation, but no, uh, no, no, not at all. No, it's, it's, it's. A, we're in a bad state. We're in a bad place. I mean, the fact that probably the two most despised people are vying now to be the next president is not a good situation to be in. Um, I think you know, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, and that part of it doesn't really go away. So the thing is, and I, I must say, this, um, like you said, it's a lot of the things that we were dealing then, like vast income inequality, mm-hmm. police violence, tremendous oppression of black people in particular, but people of color as a whole. All those things are, if, like you said, maybe worse now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is that there are people, such as in the book, today who are trying to figure out a way to deal with that and move us in a more positive direction, whether you want to talk about Black Lives Matter, whether you want to talk about anything, anything. Mm -hmm. Occupy Wall Street, which is now celebrating five years ago, a lot of that stuff has reverberated out and not only impacted people, but impacted the way the society as a whole you know, understands or at least acknowledges that these things exist. And there's Andy Piasek's In Motion. Well, um... There is, Andy. It's a good book. I I think it does a good job. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off, but I'd like for you to, if you can, tell us why uh, we're closing with Afro Blue by John Coltrane. To me, Coltrane represents a lot of the positive things that I just talked about, both in terms of trying to understand where you are, and then having something to say about it. Mm -hmm. Because when I listen to something like Afro Blue or any number of other pieces by him, it's sort of this amazing combination of exhilaration and angst and um, even torment. Mm -hmm. But there's also something incredibly liberating about it. Mm. Very good. Thanks, Andy Piasek, for joining us tonight. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Andy joined us from uh, his home in Brooklyn uh, by telephone. His latest book, his newest book, is a novel in motion. Next time on Interchange, Generalizing Particulars, the films of Chantal 
Ackerman. I'll be joined by film scholar and UCLA professor Janet Bergstrom to discuss Chantal Ackerman, a Belgian filmmaker who killed herself last November in Paris. Her films have been called the single most important and coherent body of work by a woman director in the history of cinema. Her 1975 film, Jean Dillemont, was called the first masterpiece of the feminine in cinema and a filmic paradigm for uniting feminism and anti-illusionism. She said, when you try to show reality in cinema, most of the time it's totally false. But when you try to show what's going on in people's minds, that's very cinematic. The films of Chantal Ackerman, next time on Interchange, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on WFHB. I'm Doug Storm. Thanks for listening. I produce Interchange. Rob Schoon is assistant producer and Jennifer Brooks is board engineer. Our executive producer is Joe Crawford. Stay tuned for The Jazz Menagerie with Carl Pearson coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB.